good to be gathered together. Lord, we thank you that we still have a free country, Lord. We're able to meet and worship in person, to see each other face to face, to hear each other sing and boast in the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you for that. Father, there are some that can't be here. We know some are watching. Some have had open heart surgeries and gone through some difficulties this week, and probably many of them are watching right now, Lord. We pray for them. We ask you to heal them, Lord, and return them back to us. Protect them through this. There's others, Lord, that are nearing the end of their days here on this earth, Lord, and we pray you would just give them comfort and trust in you that they'll finish each day well, Lord. We love them. Lord, thank you for those who are away on vacation even, Lord. Maybe some watching on vacation, time away with the family, time well spent to recharge, and Lord, we ask that you would bless them as well. Father, now we want to turn to your word. We've had a, a great time this morning boasting and proclaiming your truth in song, and now we want to do it in your word, Lord. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to the truth. You would uh, press upon our minds and our hearts this great, glorious salvation we have through Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged to sing and live the praises of our King. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the conversion story of the Apostle Paul, don't you? It's Acts chapter 9. You remember this, right? He has papers in his hands. He's been given papers, and he's headed to Damascus to try to destroy the church. That's what he's doing. He's on the way to put people in prison, even write death orders for them. And there the Lord knocks him off his steed as he's on the way, and there speaks to him. They see, everyone sees this great light, but only, only Paul, then Saul, hears the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love almost as much as I love the story of Acts chapter 9, where Luke is recording that, is when Paul is on trial. And there's two trials that he gives us testimony, and one in Acts 22 and the other one in Acts 26. You should read this. Mark this down on your, on your little uh, intro there. Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. There he's giving defense of what God has done. He's put on trial. And, and we know it was going to happen because when he was converted, he was taken to the house of Ananias, and Ananias was scared of him. And God said, do not be scared of him. He is a chosen servant of mine, and I have saved him, and I will raise him up, and he will give great proclamation of me before all peoples, kings, and princesses, and so forth. So in 22, 26, that's what he's doing. He's standing before the magistrates, proclaiming what Jesus Christ had done for him. What an amazing testimony it is. And you know what he's doing. When you study that text, he is boasting in the Lord. That's what Christians do. We boast in the Lord. And that's what this passage is about. I want you to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. Last time we were together, a couple of weeks ago, I got into 26 and 27 and 28 pretty heavily. There we realized that we have a calling, right? God called us. And God was pleased to, to, to call the foolish things of the world if there was such a foolishness of, of God. These things like us, not noble, verse 26, not wise, um, not great reputations of all of us mostly. We're, we're just, we're nobodies. Remember, God was right pleased to save the nobodies and bring us to himself. And so as we get into verse 29, he wants us to begin to boast in the Lord. And so he says this in verse 29, 30, 31. He says, so that no man may boast before God. And there he's talking about your boasting of what you have done. But verse 30, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. This is the mark of the redeemed. The mark of the redeemed is we boast in Jesus Christ. We boast in our Lord. And it is a boasting that we're allowed to do. You should not boast in yourself. We're talking about that this morning. We boast in the things of the Lord. So my goal is simply this this morning. Through the inspired text, inspired word of God, I want to help you boast in our God and Savior today. I want you to see great joy in him, great satisfaction. I want you to see that there can be victory in Jesus Christ. There can be victory in in believing the Bible and owning that and saying, Lord, I submit to you. I want to encourage you that. I want to do it in three ways, three, three thoughts this morning. Number one, God's sovereign grace redirects our worship. God's sovereign grace redirects our worship. Notice the, really the challenge in verse 29. He says, so that no man may boast before God. Now, what I love about these verses here is that God claims for himself all the glory. And when a person is saved without any regard for man's wisdom or methods, God desires the glory for that. In verse 29, he is not wanting you to come before him and say that I am more noble, I am more wise, that's why you chose me. (laughs) That is not why God chose you. God chose you from the foundations of the world to be his child. And he chose you that he might gain all the glory. So in verse 29, God's word begins to redirect our boasting to him. It was a problem in Corinth, right? Problem was, hey, we're wise, you know. We have Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, and and we have all this wisdom, and look how great we are. (laughs) No, no, no. No more boasting. We're going to learn to boast in the Lord. And so he's redirecting them to boast in Jesus Christ, to boast in what God has done, and that God has reserved the right for all the glory given to him. Now, this is because the actual experience of conversion that took place in our lives was by the work of God alone. It was done by him. It was his doing, we'll see in verse 30. Now, he's called us to himself. Look at verse 26. Remember, consider your calling. I chose you out of the, out of the world. I took you out of bondage. I took you out of slavery of your sin. You were dying. That's the wages of sin. You would die in your sin. I came and rescued you. So here he's reminding us of our calling. And he reminds us, look, there's not many noble, wise, you know, deserving of any of this, right? He's showing us that that we were in desperate need of him. So the boasting in the context of verse 29 is boasting is not boasted about our own wisdom or our own eloquence or our own methods. One of the things that we're very careful here at Riverbend is that we don't try to do any methods to get you saved. We don't have any um, backdoor type of ways to get you in. Here's what we do. We sing of the glories of Christ and we preach his word, word for word. Because we think it's powerful. And he can save you in your seat. (laughs) He can save you in your car. He can save you wherever he chose to save you. And we believe in that. And so we, 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 we leave him that job to do that. And he is great at saving people. And it gives him the glory. The fact that anyone is actually saved, though, is just a, a, mar- a marvelous thing, isn't it? I mean, think about that. He saved you. He saved Scott Menez. <laughs> who, who was a sinner, born, conceived in sin, born a sinner, a sinner who did not deserve to be in the presence of God. God saved me. I think that's worth boasting about. I love to tell people that God has saved me. Do you like to tell people that God has saved you? 
that he changed your life, that he radically took you from death. The way to sin is death. That's where you were headed. And he gave you life in Jesus Christ. So when we think about this, that there, there's actually no one who can boast before God. And so that's what Paul says. No one may boast before God concerning, uh, concerning their salvation. God has chosen. God has chosen to save you. He calls you to salvation. Now, the scriptures are full of inspired boasting in the Lord. And there's a context here that this passage lays in. But as we look at that, we're going to also look at passage after passage of, of God teaching us to boast in him. Now, Apostle Paul's teaching us. He's, he's in the town of Corinth. He's there by himself beginning before others come and help him. It's a very difficult church as we've laid out in prior sermons. But he's got his Bible. He doesn't have a New Testament yet, right? That's all being inspired and written down. What does he have? He has the Old Testament. And guess what he's doing? He's preaching Christ out of the Old Testament. And so let me take you to the passage that he is using. It's Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Go with me there. Um, in the Old Testament, if you hit Isaiah, you've gone too far. Um, back up one and go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Now let me give you just a bit of context here. What's going on in here? nation of Israel is under siege. The northern tribe have long now been off to judgment. They went off to judgment 120 to 125 years before this passage. They disobeyed God. They worshiped Baals and golden calves. God took them away and they went to the Assyrians. But the Assyrians have now been cap taken captive themselves, been beat by the superpower Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the war machine of Babylon is at the door of Jerusalem. They're building a ramp to go up over the walls to kill them all and take them off to captivity. That's the scene. Jeremiah is given this great ministry. Go tell them they're going to captivity. Tell them I reject them. Wow, God, that's a great message. <laughs> and people tell me all the time they have a Jeremiah ministry because no one comes to their church. And I go, you don't have a Jeremiah ministry. This is a Jeremiah ministry. This is a very difficult. This is a people who have rejected God completely. They do not turn to him. They've turned away from him. They've burned their babies in bales. They've bowed down to calves uh, and, and idols and all kinds of false gods around the world. And now God has sent Jeremiah to say, you're going to judgment. Many of you will die. The rest of you will go to Babylon. And there you'll be captive for 70 years. So Jeremiah is systematically working through the sins of the nation. And we come to this particular passage because this is where um, Paul, the apostle, is preaching out of to help the Corinth church turn from pride, to turn from thinking they have it all figured out, they have wisdom. He uses this passage. I want to pick it up in verse 21. Drop your finger down there and look at it with us. This is graphic, but this is where sin goes. Remember the wages of sin is? Listen to this verse, verse 21. For death has come up through our windows. Ooh, that's pretty graphic, isn't it? I mean, they're still not in the city yet, but this is a, a future of what's going to happen. Death's going to come through your window. You know what that death looks like? A Babylonian soldier with a sword who's going to cut open pregnant women and kill young men and leave their bodies in the street. This is the judgment because they've rejected God. Death has come up through our windows. It has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets, the young men from the town squares. Speak, thus says the Lord. Corpse, listen to this, boy, this is graphic. Corpses of men will fall like dung 
on the open field. This is where sin takes you. This is where rejection to God takes you. You have no hope to beat sin. The wages are coming if you are not a believer. You will die. And to reject him and to put your hope in other things of the world, other idols, not maybe a golden calf nowadays, but, but your money, your wealth, your houses, your relationships, all those things, those will all take you away and leave you like dung in a field. It's very graphic. And then it goes on to say, like a sheath in the reaper, but no one will gather them. Verse 23, thus says the Lord, and here we go, here's where Paul's been teaching out, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Boy, now you're right back in the text in Corinthians, aren't you? Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. This was the problem of Corinth church. Look, you know, Paul, you know, you kind of stutter. You're, you're, you're not as sharp as the people in our town, the way they speak. And they started to downgrade and, and, and rip on Paul in so many ways. We'll see that in the next sermon next week as we get into chapter 2. They were wise. We, we need great speakers. We're, we're, we're better than the average church, you know, not those Philippian people over there or the Colossian people. So Paul takes them to this text and says, not, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. You thought you were pretty wise bowing down to um, other idols. You thought you were pretty wise that the God of Israel was not a living God. Now look at you. Your young men are dying in the streets. Then he says, let not the mighty man boast of his might. Oh, look, oh, Lord, we've, we've captured all these people. We've had all these wars. Look what we've done through all these years. Look what I have accomplished. He warns them, do not put your hope in your might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. Now, if you think about it, all this comes from God. God gives us wisdom through his word. God gives us strength through the spirit of God and his truth. And certainly God gives us the riches of heaven. He showers the blessing of riches upon us when we come to him in salvation. But look, they've tried to get that otherwise in other places. Now look at verse 24. <clears throat> but let him who boasts, boast in this. They've been boasting in a lot of things, Corinth, Israel. But he says, let them boast in this, that he understands and knows me. See, there's nothing greater that we can have that we believe in as children of God is that God has let us have a relationship with him. He's opened up the bank of truth to us and said, here I, here I am, understand me, know me. Here is the word of God. I'm going to give you the all-sufficient understanding of who I am. Isn't that an amazing thing? You go, know, Scott, well, how do you know this? Well, ask somebody of the world what they think of God. Ask a lost person who just have them give you a description of God. It's terrible. They, they come up with these crazy things. Everything from this, oh, this lovey-dovey, rainbow-looking God to this harsh God that there's no way you can ever have a relationship with them. They, they're spread out completely and everything in the thing. They have a, no knowledge, no understanding of who the true God is. Listen, God gave you a knowledge and an understanding of him through Jesus Christ. And he says, let you boast in that. You know, it's a humble boasting because there's times we should just, we come to pastors like, Lord, thank you for letting me know you. If you would not have chosen me from the foundations of the world, you could have let me go through this world and I would have tried to gain knowledge and wealth and I would have died in my sins and fallen under your judgment and I would fall like dung on the field in the end of life. That's where I'd go. 
Is he not worthy of boasting about when you think about this? Thank you. I gotta wake up, second service. Um, he's worth boasting about. We know a God. We know the God. We understand him. The Bible has given us to him. Jesus Christ has become the full explanation of him, right? He's the radiant glory. He's the exact representation of God. He's the explanation, John 1.18, of God. We know him. And this is what we boast in, brothers and sisters. Note, look at the rest of the verse. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness. I love that word exercise. It's a great word. It means he, he purposely expressed strength to do something. God purposed before the foundations of the world to show you and me loving kindness. I don't know why he, me, I can't tell you that. Outside of his loving kindness, he chose to do that. We have seen a loving God. The world sees some uh, God they make up in their own mind. We see the loving God. A loving, kind God. Notice what else we see and what else we boast in. We see is justice. Man, there's all kinds of justice issues going on out there. They're all mostly false. Justice system's a mess. What is, what is now defined as justice is being changed daily. There's no justice out there. There's only one who is just, who is right in all that he does. And isn't it worth boasting about that he's our God? Because they're not going to put up for our teachings very long, right? They're, 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 it's not going to work in this world. But we have a just God. And even when they act, act unjustly to us, we have a just God. And I boast in that. You can, you can study the Old Testament. They threw men into fires. They threw men into lion's dens. They, they, they cut the heads off of people. They stoned others. And guess what they did? They trusted the God of justice. And that's what we'll do. We will trust the God of justice. That's who he is. He's not only just uh, a God who we love and we understand and know and a just God. He's a righteous God. That means everything he does is perfect. He fails in no way. And so we boast in this God who lets us understand him, lets us know him, lets us know and, and feel and uh, receive his loving kindness. We have a God who's just and right on this earth. And then he says this, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Listen, brothers, sisters, I told you my goal was to help you boast in the Lord today. Do you delight in these things? When you watch the world and you see what's going on, are you running back to the Lord? Or are you moaning over where the world's going? Run back to the Lord and boast in him this is what we do. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, through him, that's Jesus, then we continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's what we do. The final lamb has been slain. Jesus is the final lamb. There's no more sacrifices. He's the final lamb. He's the final grain offering. He's the final free will offering. He's the final blood sacrifice. He's the final everything. Now we offer up sacrifice of praise. Do you boast in the Lord? Do you boast in the Lord? I came across so many passages. I, I decided to find the greatest psalm um, that boasts in the Lord. Six hours later, I came up with Psalms 145. Turn there with me. There are so many great psalms and passionate portions of psalms, but Psalms 45 stuck out in my mind as a beautiful psalm that boasts in the Lord. And I want to just read this to you this morning. So I want you to get your finger on it in your Bible and follow me down as I read 
as I boast in the Lord from the Scriptures. And think about this. Think about your life and think about loving the Lord, this Lord, and following Him as David describes as he extols the greatness of God. Listen to what he says, verse 1, Psalms 145. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will bless your name forever and ever. Verse 3, great is the Lord and highly to be praised, with, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the gracious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works. I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who bow down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy their desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him and to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will also hear the cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord and all the flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. <laughs> Was that not boasting in the Lord? Oh, I read that this week and I just sat and meditated on line after line after line of the greatness of our God. See, that's what God wants us to do. Oh, Paul was a great boaster in the Lord. Think of passages like this, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. It says, for while we were yet sinners, when we were in a worse position, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. Right? He says this. But then he says this. And not only this, but we also exalt. Now that's the word, that's the same word, root word for boast in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We will boast, he says. Not only this, but we will also boast. We will exalt in God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Paul cannot speak the name of the Lord without starting to boast. He boasts in the Lord. One of my favorite passages was very interesting when it comes to boasting. It's just one little phrase that he does. He's in the middle of first, uh, the first chapter of Romans, verse 24 and 25. He is systematically showing that God now lets go, turns over to sin people who suppress the truth and righteousness. He makes his way down to verse 24 and he says this, Therefore God has given them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Then he says this, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator 
rather than the creature, rather than the... Okay, soon as he says that word, he says one, all that's pretty negative, right? He's talking about how the sins are going to fall upon them. They're going to be judged through their own sins. And then he says one word after they've served the, they've served the creature rather than the creator. Guess what he does? Soon as he says that word, he goes, who is blessed forever, amen. He can't even say the word creator without boasting in him. Even in a negative context like that. This is the way someone who is dedicated to the Lord does. We learn to boast in our Lord. So many great passages. Go to the one that Pastor Rick read for us, Ephesians chapter 3. I purposely had him read this because I wanted to come to it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Get your Bible there. Get your finger on it. This is a great text. See, we're, we're learning because, listen, when we wake up in the morning, we're pretty selfish people, aren't we? We, we tend to think about ourselves before anybody else. We tend to think of our needs. We're, we're, we are extremely selfish people. So we're learning, God's learning in our great progressive sanctification that he's changing us to be like a son to learn to boast about him. And so look what Paul does in this great prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he says this, For this reason I bow the knee before the Lord. Well, let's just stop right there. You want to stop boasting in yourself and... You know, self is tiring, right? It's really hard to keep after oneself. I mean, if you're going to make yourself an idol, you just, you got a lot of work to do because you ain't very good. You got to constantly prop yourself up. You got to constantly protect your perimeter. You're, you're just constantly consumed with yourself. You know, who said this about me? And what do they think about me? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough food? What, what, me, me, me. You're just a me monster. You want to get away from that? You want to get away from that? You want to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, and your soul? Look what Paul says, bow the knee. Bow the knee. How many of us bowed the knee this week and said, God, I can't get out of this jam. I've, I've sinned or I'm in some way. Or, or Lord, I've, I've just, I think of myself way too much. How many of us bowed the knee before the Lord this week and said, Lord, I've been boasting in myself way too much. I need to boast in you. So he says, look, for this reason I bow the knee before the Father. And notice he says, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Well, I don't like my gender. <laughs> I don't like marriage. I don't like this. I don't like that. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. God gave that. Everything comes from that. Acknowledge him. Yes, you may not... You may look in the mirror and go, ooh. <laughs> but God did that. And you're an image bearer, right? And so we thank him and we begin to boast that he made me who I am. He's the one that has control over all the families in the earth. Notice verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. He's got a heaven full of glory, doesn't he? And riches to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner man. Notice he's after the inner man. We're all after the outer man. I need to be in better shape. I need to eat better. I need more this and that and drive better this and live in better that. We're all about the outer man. He's all about the inner man. He's all about the inner man. He wants to change us inwardly, doesn't he? If you want to boast in the Lord, it starts inside of us, right? And it's so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, that's his love, right? May be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and that's a lifetime. That's a lifetime of pursuing Jesus Christ. 
Not a day doesn't go by when I'm studying. I go, oh, I didn't know that about you, Lord. I've never seen that before. I've never seen how grand you are. You spend a time, just take Psalms 145 and meditate this week and read line by line and think about his greatness. You'll be in awe of him. See, that's what he wants. Notice he says that we would comprehend the, the breadth and length and height and depth of it to know the love of Christ. See, when you love yourself, you don't love Christ. You can't serve two masters. Isn't that what the Bible says? So I'm in love with me. I'm going to fix all this. I'm always thinking about me, 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 monster. And guess what happens? You, you don't get to experience the depth and breadth and length and the love of Christ. You get a little bit on Sunday because you feel a little convicted. But by the time you're out the door, you're already on to lunch. Because you're a me monster. And that's what we are. And so God's trying to change us inwardly so that we would be ones who boast in him. Lord, capture my mind. I've said this to you, and last week we talked with the kids at camp, and I said, kids, we've got to learn when we wake up to learn to give our lives to the Lord every day. Because we wake up extremely selfish. I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I've got to go to the bathroom. And then if you're like me, I've got a million things going on. I've got my hands in so many things. I'm, Lord, my mind just starts running. I've got to stop. Lord, thank you for saving me. Most mornings, somewhere in my conscience, when I start to become conscious again, I say, Lord, thank you for saving me. I would have surely perished without you. Thank you for saving me. Boy, that really helps the mean monster in me. Pray, ask God, tell him to give you victory over the mean monster. Lord, I want to be one who thinks of you. I want to know the depth and the length and the height and the breadth of your love. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. Remember, the Corinthians are all about knowledge, all about wisdom. Oh, I just get more wisdom. And they didn't know the love of God. He has to write a whole chapter of how God loves. These are the people who are supposed to be all full of wisdom, and they don't know the simple truth that God loves you. That's where wisdom will take you in this world. Notice he goes on to say, you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now look at this boasting. Verse 20 and 21 are just a highlight. He just unleashes the boasting in God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, that same power is in us, to him be the glory, where? In the church. <laughs> Not in the world. Not what they're chasing. In the church. In the body of Jesus Christ, the members of Jesus Christ's body, that's where all the power and joy and the ability to say, God, we trust you, is found in the truth that the church teaches. We make up the body of the, of the church. The body of Christ is the church. And notice, to the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, look at this. Oh, brothers and sisters, to all generations forever and ever. God wants to save your kids. And he wants that generation over and over. See, people said, why do you go to camp, Scott? Um, you're pretty busy. I says, that's the next generation of the church. Oh, my goodness, I can't give enough to that generation. I love those kids. We had the greatest week. We wept together. We repented of sin. Um, we made accountability partners. Because they are the next generation who are going to boast for Jesus Christ when the world is coming off its rocker. Oh, invest in them. Moms, dads. When, even when they're not looking like they're walking with the Lord, teach them to love Jesus. Get them to Bible studies and youth groups and all of those things that come alongside you. Oh, this is such a precious verse. 
in Jesus Christ's generation forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I have so many verses. Uh, Pastor Brian, his opening, the end of Revelation chapter 11. What a boastful, unsearchable wisdom of God. Paul boasts in them. One one more, just I'll skip a bunch of others for the sake of it. I've got to get to my next point. Jude chapter uh, 1, there's only one chapter, verses 20 through 25. Now listen to Jude boast. Just listen to this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I had that just marked up in my Bible. You know why? Because I don't like to stumble. Not because I'm, I, I, want, I feel like I'm perfect in some way. It's because I know it disappoints God. And I don't want, and I, it brings me grief. You know when you sin, you're not happy? If you're a Christian, it may be temporary, but it's miserable, right? If you're a Christian and you're living in sin, you're a miserable person. This is the way you are. So he says, look, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This is boasting in God. Who can keep you from stumbling but God, right? Look what he says. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Uh, I mean, I'm about ready to lose my mind here. He makes us stand in the presence of God, blameless. He looks at us and our past, our present, and our future sin are all taken away in Christ. And our forever position as the sons and daughters of God is blameless. What did you boast in this week? That Jesus Christ has made you blameless and let you stand with great joy, the text says. Are you standing with great joy? See, that's what people who, who trust in the Lord through difficult trials. I know many trials are going on in here. I, I'm, part, I'm helping some of them. I'm, I'm trying to give encouragement. I, I, I know enough where I know some of you are under the gun. There's difficulties in your life. You can let those difficulties just sweep you away or you can start boasting in God and find hope that he's going to bring you through that. He did not save you to drown you, brothers and sisters. He's there for you. You have a great standing. You have a great standing in joy. Will you boast in the Lord? He finishes it out. He says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. That's boasting in the Lord. If we set a scale up here and we put our boastings on worldly things, things that are not profitable for the kingdom of God, we put them on one and we put our boasting in the Lord this week here, what would it be like? What would it be like? We're not talking about salvation. We're just talking about what our boasting is. Do you boast in the Lord? Or do you boast in yourself? Second thought, God's sovereign grace is the source of our worship. God's sovereign grace is the source of our worship. When we use the word sovereign grace, it's a very salvific term. It talks about our salvation. God is sovereign. That means he has authority over all things. Souls, life, eternity, death, life, everything. That means, but when it comes to sovereign grace, it means He has a sovereign control of who and where and how he dispenses his grace. If he doesn't have that control, he is not God. He's something else, but he isn't God. God has to be sovereign to be God. And so when we use the word sovereign grace, we speak about that he sovereignly dispenses his grace. And so here I said, God's sovereign grace is the source of our worship. Look at verse 30 with me. Back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Look at this. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now that's quite a phrase, isn't it? By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. 
I marvel at this phrase. It teaches me that, that God joined me or joined you to Christ. He did this through his sovereign grace, and he now places me in a union forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that any time, and as God's eyes are always on me, he looks at me only in Christ. I am in union with Christ. He never sees me outside of Christ. So Christ's blood, his death, his propitiation, his substitutionary death, his sacrifice for me has covered me from now and forever. What a statement. Is that not worth boasting about? I am a child of God. Not by my own doing, but by his doing. He placed me in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, never to be taken from that position. That is the glory of God. Of the Lord. This verse is very salvific, isn't it? By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. There's lots of verses that support this, right? Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5. We just worked through this text in our series on salvation. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, predetermined us to be adopted sons and daughters through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will. This is just, Paul is saying, do you boast in the fact that God is a God of sovereign grace? Do you boast in that? You know, a lot of Christianity is built on free will and all that stuff, and everybody's always frustrated with it because, you know, well, you know, just, God just kind of like, well, I'm waiting on you. No, no. We boast in the fact that God doesn't depend on us for anything. <laughs> he, he's not up there with his hands tied. Boy, oh, sure, hope God chooses me. Otherwise, he's going to go to hell and be judged forever. We have a great God who went ahead of us knowing that we couldn't choose him because we were sinners. Our minds were depraved. Our hearts were dark with sin. There's nothing good within, right? And so he comes and gets us, and we praise the Lord for that. So worthy of praise. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you for the beginning for salvation. Amen. Our God loved us. That's why we call it the doctrine of love. God loved us so greatly that before we were even around, he chose us to be his children, his forever family. This is the love of God. Now, there's this phrase, is an interesting phrase, and it's used several places very similar, like verse 30 says in our text here, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. Listen to Colossians 1.27. I'm just for the sake of time, just listen to this. Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory. To whom God willed. See, I don't cross the line. There's a line that belongs to God because everybody goes, whoa, what about the people he didn't shoot? You have no idea who that is. And God's perfect. He makes no mistakes. Stay out of that line. Get, get over here. That's why you're always cranky. <laughs> Stay over here. God loved me for the foundations of the world. That's an amazing thing. He willed me to come to him. Worship in that. Boast in that. He'll, he'll not miss any. Jesus says, all that you give me, I'll lose none of them. He's perfect in it. Trust him and boast in him that he, that he saved you. A wretch deserving of the fires of hell, he saved you. Boast in him. Stop boasting in yourself. You've got nothing to add to this. We are in faith because God brought us into faith. Listen to James 1.18. Very similar words here. 
particularly in the Greek coming out in the English here. James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Oh, there's that word exercise again. That means God expressed strength. He exercised, he breathed out his word. We kind of get that same idea from inspiration. He exercised his choice of us. Man, I'm so grateful he did that. The Bible teaches us that none of us would come to God if it wasn't for Jesus coming after us. None one of us would come. We would all go our own way. Like lost sheep, we would go our own way. It is a chief shepherd who comes and gathers us by his grace. And that's why we call it sovereign grace. Now, according to verse 30, it says that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, like Ephesians speaks about, has been given to us because God places us in this union, right? He says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. Who became to us wisdom from God. We now have the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ, right, in our lives. We have righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So if any boasting by those whom God has saved or by those whom God uses to bring to salvation, if you boast in any of that and say, well, I did this or I did that, you're robbing God of his glory. Don't take his glory. When someone gets saved, praise God with them. When you watch a baptism on Sunday night, wow, look what God did. That's why we love it, because it reminds us what God has done, doesn't it? So we we don't want to rob him of any of that. So now here in the text, because Christ has become our true wisdom, what we find is the riches of God. We find his righteousness. We find his sanctification. We find his redemption. So, So here we find all of this. Now, I think he's using wisdom, before I get into these three thoughts here. Wisdom, because that was the problem that they stumbled over in Corinth. They thought they were wise of their own. He's saying, you're only wise because God gave you his wisdom, which is foolish to the world. So if you think your will, wisdom match, if, you, if the world likes your wisdom, you're in the wrong company. We have the wisdom of God, which is foolishness to them. Our view of marriage, our view of salvation, our view of life, our view of society, of justice, all of that is based in God's word, and it's foolish to the world. Now, look, he gives three things that I want to, all based under this wisdom that comes from Jesus Christ. I want to look at them. A, in impudent righteousness. So here it says that, who becoming to us wisdom from God, we get righteousness. Now, this has to be impudent righteousness. And by theological definition, I wrote it this way. The state of being justified before God because of the impudent righteousness of another who is perfect. Now, I love the doctrine of imputation. And many of you know this, but let me go over it again real quick. The doctrine of imputation says this, that I'm a sinner, great sinner, conceived uh, from conception to birth to life. I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner, and there's no way I can get myself to God. God takes the sin of Scott, presses it upon Jesus Christ, judges Jesus like he committed my sin. So the wages of sin is, so Jesus had to die, and then he takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he dresses me in his righteousness, so that I can stand right before God with great joy forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the doctrine of imputation. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to just boast in him? He did that for you, sinner. (laughs) He did that for you. He's given you grace and mercy in his own son's righteousness, He's worth boasting about. He told them, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Well, the Pharisees, they were like perfect, right? They're, they're like, you know, 
getting out the coming and the deal. Oh, well, there's one too many seeds. Take that back. Oh, yeah, look, I'm perfect. I mean, they were so consumed with their outward righteousness. He says, you're never going to make it. You need my righteousness. And that's what Jesus came for, to give us his righteousness. And so those who have received imputed righteousness of Christ are justified, declared righteous eternally. Ah, See, that's what makes us sing. That's what makes us preach. And that's what should make us live for Jesus and not stop fretting and help us stop fretting over all of our problems. So is God's sovereign grace worth boasting about for you? Is it worth boasting about? We receive the gift of righteousness whereby we're justified, we're accepted by God forever through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, may I never be found in my own righteousness, but may I be found in the righteousness of him. He says, look, when I stand before him, I'm going to be found in the righteousness of him, not righteousness that came from the law doing works. If If I stand before God and I come, look, Lord, I've done all these things, guess what he says? I never knew you. But see, when you come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he goes, welcome in, my son, my daughter. Sup with me forever. That's righteousness. See, this is worth boasting about. This is what the, the church in Corinth was missing because they were so hung up on their own wisdom. Oh, we've had the wisdom of God. Second one, B, adoption or new family. All oh, the Caliendos got me wound up um, watching what, they, what God led them to do and their obedience on uh, adopting both Tommy now and Christian. But, but it really is this word sanctification. And the word sanctification means that we've received the gift of life. We have been freed from the bondage of slavery, of sin, of our post-family, right? Our, our family before life in Christ. We were enslaved. We were in bondage in that family. The one who works in the sons of disobedience was our ruler and our master. We are now set apart for God's glory, eternal glory, as his forever family. That's what sanctification means. That's initial sanctification. Means, he went over here, said Scott, in 1970, you no longer belong to Satan in the world. You are now mine. I pull you out of that. I put you in my forever family. I dress you in the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ, and you will be here forever with me. Stand in great joy. That's what we're talking about here. Now, progressive sanctification is the result of that. We start growing into the image of Christ. We become more like Christ as he leaves us on this earth and we stay here longer before he comes by rapture or death. We live and we become more like Christ. But listen, the day you received Jesus Christ, you were ready, ready to stand in his presence forever. That's how great a salvation we have. Something worth so boasting. So in other words, God gave us new birth. You have a new birth. He set you apart from the world. And listen, he places his own spirit within you. Isn't that amazing? The triune God says, I'm going to reside in you to help you obey my word, to understand my word, and to live for me and have great joy and of obedience versus great heartache of disobedience. One of the things we were working with the kids, we talked through the Ten Commandments, and we said, God fences us in towards him with his commands in the Bible. Because the minute you go over that fence, you are in trouble. You are going to be rebellious, and with rebellion comes hatred and problem after problem or problem. God brings us to himself as Christians. He says, hey, wives, you know, be a picture of the church. Submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wife, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents. You know, slaves, obey your masters. He goes all through that to help, help us have great joy. Oh, but what do we want to do? Well, what's over the other fence over there? 
And we end up living over there and we're, we, come, we become even bigger me monsters over there. So God moves us to him through this family. 2 Corinthians 5.15, just jot this down. And he died for all, that's his elect, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. I love that. Jesus died for me, so I don't have to live for myself. Why some of us in this room have many struggles is because we live for ourselves. We boast about ourselves. And you can do that in weird ways. You can boast about your political views. You can boast about your work ethic. You can boast about yourself in a lot of ways, but I promise you, you're not a fun person to be around. You give us a person who loves Jesus and boasts what Christ has done in their lives, oh, I don't want to spend time with that guy or that gal. See, there's joy there. You have great, you stand in great joy, Jude said. And so 1 Thessalonians says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Come on, let's boast in him. Third, freedom. Paid in full. Look at the word redemption. Theologically speaking, we have been delivered from the guilt of sin and set free from the pay, uh, by, by the payment that was made in full. So and you go, well, yeah, Jesus forgave me my sin. Well, what about the guilt? So there's a lot of Christians that run around with a lot of guilt. And it tells me they don't quite understand the depth of the love of God. God not only took away your sin, he actually takes the guilt away. Paul, after one who was a violent aggressor against the church, murderous in his intent, if not carried that out, says, my conscience is what? Clear. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. See, redemption cleans our conscience. Oh, you show, you show me someone whose conscience is clean, I'll show you one who boasts in the Lord. Someone who runs around with guilt, they're not trusting the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trusting in their own works. And so they end up feeling guilty and they, they can't sing. They, they, they mumble and, and they don't read their Bible because they feel bad. And oh man, brother, sister, if you're a believer in here, you've got to give that to the Lord. He redeemed you. He bought you. And that includes wiping out your guilt. Oh, brother and sister, don't fall under that. Paul's argument is simple here. Why would anyone need or want a supplement or to modify God's wisdom in, 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 in Christ and his word. I, I, we see people so often, Christians, run to the world for help. They just don't have anything to offer you. One of the great counseling books that we all read as we start into biblical counseling is a book that gives an illustration of a woman who had so many problems, divorce, abuse, just amazing amount of problems. Just you hurt when you hear her testimony, how much she's been through. She comes to a church, and there's a preacher, much probably like me, who's preaching on the glories of Christ. He's boasting in Jesus Christ that Christ is everything you need and preaches this sermon, and the woman just is broken. She's sitting in the pew just broken. That's what I need. That's what I've been looking for. And, and he, she makes her way down and grabs the pastor and says, Oh, I, I need what you said. And she begins to give her testimony. Here's what's happened to me. Goes through this difficult hardship of life. And he goes, oh, well, I, I, that's beyond me. I, I can't help you. Listen, this church holds the sufficiency of scriptures and the sufficiency of Christ. He gives us everything we need in life and godliness. We do not run to the world for the help. We run to Christ. And what happens if you don't, you try the world's way, you'll find yourself just disheartened, you actually find yourself more selfish because that's all they ever offer you. God has the answers for us. This is why we preach the truth in love. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of Christ. Oh, church, where is your wisdom found? Is it in Jesus and his word or in something else? 
Well, last thought here before we get into communion is number three. The sovereign word of God tells us to boast in him alone. Look at verse 31. So just as it is written, he's back to Jeremiah here, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Just for a sake of time, let me take you to Romans chapter 8 and let me just read to you another boasting in the Lord. And then we'll turn to the Lord's table. Romans chapter 8, if I've said this many times, if you threw me in prison and they said, you got one chapter of the Bible to take with you, I'm probably taking Romans 8. Starts with no condemnation, ends with no separation. I, can, I could live on this passage the rest of my life. It's that depth. But drop down to verse 28. We start there. We love this verse because we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Uh, all things, Scott? Yep, all things. Hardship, difficulties, financial problems, relationship problems. Yep, God uses all those things to bring you to himself who alone has the solution for those who love him. That's what he does. He's a good God, isn't he? He brings you to that. And those are the called. It's for the called, not for the world, for the called. Those picked out of the world. And he does this according to his purposes. And his ways are not always our ways, right? Lord, why don't you fix my marriage a long, long time ago? No, because I am refining you. I'm not so much worried about your spouse as you are. I'm worried about you. Learn to walk with me. Learn to trust me despite what other people do. This is God's great purposes in our lives to make us more like his son because when his son suffered, he did not revile in return. He didn't threaten. He kept trusting himself to the one who judges righteously. See, he's trying to make us like that. Peter said Jesus was left as an example for us. Chapter 2, verse 21. Now look what he does in verse 29. For to those whom he foreknew, you know I love this word. It's a compound word. For means something previously. New is Intimacy. Same word is used of Joseph. He did not know his wife Mary. So here I translate this word, whom God foreloved. Ha! That's right back to the foundations of the world, isn't it? God who foreloved. He also predetermined, predestined us. He predetermines to be like his son, right? He wants to conform us into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus would be our elder brother. We would be in a relationship, in a family relationship with Jesus Christ. He would sit at the table with us, joint heirs of Jesus, Romans 8 says. But notice it goes on, those whom he also predestined, predetermined their future. He also called, kaleo, chose out. These whom he called, he also justified, declared righteous. And these he declared righteous, he also glorified. You're ready for heaven at time of salvation. But then he doesn't quit, does he? What then shall we say to, the, to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Oh, we're going to have to cling to this verse in coming months and years and ministrations. <laughs> oh, they're not going to put up with what we believe. Who can stand against our God? It might cost us. Some of us might die for our faith. But who's going to stand up against God? What are you going to do? Kill me and send me to heaven? Who can be against you? This is great boasting, isn't this? Paul's boasting in the Lord. Are you boasting with him this morning? Who can be against you if God is for you? Verse 32, here's why. Because he who did not spare his son but delivered him over for us, how, we, um, how, we, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See, this is what we talk about, the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of the word. Oh, Scott, the church can't help me. I got problems i got to go to this or that. i got to take this or take that. Oh, it's a rejection of God's word. How will he who gave his own son for your salvation not give you everything you need in Christ and his word? It's a rhetorical. Yeah, you go, yeah, he's right. 
Why did I do that? That was a waste of a lot of money. I ended up with a box of pills and a few books that tell me how to live like the worldly people do. Oh, not our God. He loves us. And who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Yeah, they're going to charge us for a lot of things. They're going to use hate crimes. That's what they're after. That's all the new bills are hate crime bills against Christians who say this is what the family is. This is what God says. Now it's going to be a hate crime, and you're going to have to come visit me in prison. Hope you do. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised. He's just not a dead Jesus, not hanging on a cross. He's raised, just like he'll raise us, who is at the right hand of God. He has all the authority and power. That's what he means. And he's interceding for us. He's your advocate, your attorney. He's one you run to. Verse 35, who will separate you from the love of God? Oh, come on. Now he starts on the list with tribulation, distress, marriage, children, finances, housing, I'm throwing a few in there. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Well, just as written, for your sake, we've been put to death all day long. That could happen again. We're considered like sheep, led to the slaughter. That's how they look at us. But, and all these things, we're kind of conquerors. Did you get your Bible open? More, overwhelmingly, it's translated in some texts. Not just kind of barely made it in. We're overwhelmingly conquerors to him who loved us. And then he just closes with this huge boast. Look what he does. For I am convinced. There's, you're not changing my mind at all. No matter what I'm going to suffer through, whatever I'm going to go through, you're not changing my mind. Death can't do it. Life can't do it. Angels can't do it. Principalities can't do it. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor heights, nor depth. And he just runs out. He says, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not boasting in God? Brothers and sisters, where's your boast? What's it in? You're going to suffer if you don't boast in him. You're going to suffer undue suffering. And then when you do suffer, if you can't boast in him, there won't be any blessing in it. Boast in the Lord. Father, we thank you that you love us and you let us boast in you. You've saved us. You've given us a blameless, holy standing before you. And we are to stand in great joy. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that all of us, these brothers and sisters who sit here before me, Lord, will be encouraged to boast in the Lord. Lord, we will not become the me monsters that you saved us from. We will turn from that, Lord, and we will begin to proclaim the truths we know through your Bible. Even in the most difficult circumstances, we will claim those truths because you said them and they are finished, despite whether we believe or not. But we do believe, Lord, and we can find great joy and great hope. Lord, may our hope be in you and not in us, not in our wisdom, not in our riches, not in anything else, Lord. May our hope, our boast be in you. In Jesus' name, amen.